As you know, it's important to me that the supplements I recommend and use are of the highest quality. That's why I stocked the Protocol for Life Balance product line at my online dispensary, drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. Protocol for Life Balance offers a wide range of professional grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research. Among them, several stand out for their cardio health support, cardio triplex, clinical cardio six, natokinase, and ubiquinol. Each of these products takes its own unique approach to cellular energy production, maintaining normal blood fluidity, healthy immune response to normal biological stress, and maintaining blood pressure already within the healthy range. They're available from healthcare practitioners, and they're available to you at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today's subject is an interesting one. It's actually a reprise of a conversation that I had in the midst of the pandemic with an innovative practitioner uh, who has looked at the impact of lifestyle on COVID susceptibility. Uh, He's Ross Arena. Uh, Dr. Arena is a professor, PhD, and head of the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Illinois at Chicago. He received his BS in Human Performance from Southern Connecticut State University in 1993, and then he went on to receive his Master's in Science in Physical Therapy and a PhD in Physiology in 2001. So he knows whereof he speaks when it comes to human performance and the impact of exercise. Uh, he has recently written a fascinating paper, and that's why I invited him onto the program today to review some of the conclusions in this uh, new paper uh, that I believe, uh, where did it appear, uh, Dr. Arena? Was it? um, Uh, The the American Journal of Medicine. Okay, Uh, your prestigious journal, Mapping 1 Million COVID-19 Deaths and Unhealthy Lifestyle Behaviors in the United States, Recognizing the Syndemic Pattern and Taking Action. Very fascinating, uh, intriguing title. So, uh, first of all, what do you mean when you say that, uh, and I'm quoting from your paper, the U.S. is experiencing not a pandemic, but a syndemic? What's that about? Yeah. Uh, so thanks for having me, Ron. It's good to good to be back. And um, yeah, so a syndemic was uh, before COVID, uh, before COVID-19 and um, and the work I was doing. I wasn't too familiar with um, syndemics either. But uh, by definition, a syndemic is when two or more conditions or uh, situations uh, interact with one another in a negative way uh, synergistically to create far worse health outcomes. So uh, when you're talking about the, the syndemic we wrote about in, in, in this paper, in the mapping paper, uh, it was related to COVID 
COVID-19, so the viral pandemic, uh, unhealthy lifestyle characteristics, and chronic disease, and the incidence and prevalence of chronic disease. Uh, and those are, we have found, and papers and researches uh, continually supporting this, that these are synergistic, synergistically interacting with one another to create a far worse health outcome. And, and so, so that's what a, what a syndemic is. And, and actually, uh, it, it's a little, there's, you can do a little bit more of a deeper dive into the syndemic uh, with respect to unhealthy lifestyle characteristics and chronic disease. So by definition, uh, that's a syndemic. And, and then uh, I'd like to talk about, maybe we'll, we'll talk about uh, this later in the segment, uh, the the social justice component of this and uh, how uh, underserved uh, communities and underrepresented individuals are even uh, to a much greater d- degree interact uh, affected by uh, these these health issues and, and actually contributes to the syndemic. So there's a, a social justice overlay, if you will, uh, to this syndemic. Indeed, and, and that that seems to explain a lot because. Uh, well, first of all, uh, there is a pattern, and it, it seems to have emerged uh, internationally. Uh, when COVID first hit, you know, we thought of some of the uh, lesser developed countries, countries that had uh, poor uh, medical facilities, uh, and, and yet it seems that uh, the Western countries, countries where uh, obesity was more common, especially the United States, uh, suffered the brunt of the pandemic in terms of uh, the likelihood of dying. And then within the United States, there are great disparities. Uh, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Uh, ain't we got fun? Uh, that's, you know, the old song lyric, but it, when it comes to health, uh, it seems to have uncovered uh, a great deal of disparity in terms of, um, uh, health and vulnerability, right? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, and actually you, you bring up, there's so much to talk about on this topic, but um, you're exactly right. With uh, the beginning of the the pandemic, uh, there was enormous concern globally, of course, but but even greater concern uh, in um, uh, low to middle income countries, uh, such as such as certain countries in Africa, where they thought, well, um, with uh, with lack of access to health care and vaccination. This could be a, a true disaster, a true health mm-hmm. disaster. And, and we actually, our group wrote a paper about this as well, that um, in, in Africa, in countries in Africa where we thought the worst was going to occur, uh, that actually didn't turn out to be the case. And, and there's some pretty uh, interesting theories now as to why that may be. And one of them is because the, in, in those countries, some of those countries, people are more physically active. And obesity is far less, mm-hmm. uh, and and so you know that being a theory as to why the health outcomes weren't as bad. But but you're right in the in the Western countries where chronic disease and un- unhealthy lifestyle are, are running rampant, uh, we've we've been seeing those disasters occur more so. So you know it it kind of speaks to uh, and supports that that premise of healthy living medicine is good for everyone everywhere. Uh, no matter what your your status in life or you know what resources you have, uh, it it's a medicine everyone should should be taking. And, and 
moreover, you know, when we talk about a syndemic, uh, the toll of, of COVID has been terrible, but the toll of uh, heart disease, uh, stroke, uh, diabetes, uh, and cancer that may be related to lifestyle uh, is is far greater by a magnitude of uh, perhaps dozens. Yes, exactly, and you know, they're interact. So, so the interaction is is uh, complex, and what I am concerned about, and others in 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 my area, is the lasting effects. So. Uh, you see paper after paper come out and uh, identify, you know, those who are hospitalized and have a much greater uh, risk of, of mortality with COVID or ICU admission, just poor outcomes in general, uh, are those with uh, a diagnosis of one or more chronic conditions, uh, obesity, uh, and, and unhealthy lifestyle characteristics. So the, the, the pump was primed, if you will, for a really bad outcome with this viral pandemic uh, and that that bore out to be to be true and um, and recently you know looking at the um, just physical inactivity in itself uh, there are more now there are more than 25 papers showing around the world that uh, if you are physically inactive you had a much higher risk of of poor outcomes and hospitalizations and mortality with a COVID infection. And, and that strength of evidence was compelling enough for the CDC to list physical inactivity as a risk factor for poor outcome with COVID, which is, is really striking to me and it certainly warranted, but you know, you're starting to see these shifts where, where groups and organizations that, kind of stuck to uh, chronic disease diagnoses and the more traditional uh, reactive healthcare system of, well, if you have cancer or heart disease, this and that, um, th- these are the bad things uh, that are associated with health. You know, recognizing, I think it's a big deal that CDC recognized physical inactivity increases your risk of poor outcome with, with COVID. Indeed. And so, so that... But, but has there been, so, you know... Uh, when I when I listen to the radio or, or watch TV, uh, you know, every five minutes there's a, a PSA urging people to get boosters uh, or suggesting that if people get sick, uh, you know, they, there's a place that they can go to get uh, medication. Uh, but I don't see any, uh, you know, government sponsored uh, or industry sponsored uh, commercials that tell people that, you know, maybe they should eat more healthy, lose weight and exercise in order to mitigate the severity of, P- of uh, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we still, uh, you know, you see it in some circles and, and uh, I think if asked the question, you know, leading health professionals would say, Oh, of course. But as far as, you know, public health campaigns structured this way to kind of be proactive and preventive, we still don't live in that healthcare world's, yet uh we we talk about it um but but we still kind of live in that uh secondary reactive um type of healthcare system so i'm not surprised it leans more towards you know get your get your boosters get your uh get your vaccinations and 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 
I think I think we'll get there eventually. I guess I'm being optimistic that you know healthy living medicine should be kind of at the forefront. The, the first thing we think about, uh, and it would re- be a really fascinating experiment, wouldn't it? In a in a, in a perfect world where uh, the population, I've kind of you know said some of this in in some of my talks, um, you know that. If we had a world where healthy lifestyle was the norm uh, rather than the exception um, and and people, you know, maintain a healthy body weight, but even more importantly, didn't smoke, ate healthy uh, and, and were physically active and in the, the pandemic came, what would have happened? What mm-hmm. what would the outcomes have been? I mean, we have some pockets of evidence from. Uh, you know, from Africa, as I, as I mentioned, uh, that would indicate it's protective, but you know, that's, that's the, that's the position, you know, healthy living people like myself hold is that, uh, we would have done much better. And, and if we could learn these lessons that are all around us and have been for some time, uh, we can be better prepared for, for health crises. Um, you know, that, it's interesting that the uh, it, we had data on uh, being, you know, leading a healthy lifestyle and viral infection before COVID with just the regular flu. It's not a a big area of research, but there's there's data out there to say, well, if you you know uh, got the flu or you know during the flu season, if you were healthy and active and and led a healthy lifestyle. Your risk of getting the flu, of, of being symptomatic, of being hospitalized, of dying is far less. So, so we already kind of knew this, uh, and now we've learned a much harsher lesson. So when is it going to be enough, right? When is it? Uh, when are we going to really learn the lesson and, and make a shift? And I. I want to say that the, the COVID pandemic will help move that along, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll still have to wait and see. And you know, we'll, and I'm sure we'll talk about the paper and, and uh, what what prompted that paper and the trends and the maps in that paper. But um, indeed, but it, yeah, we is it possible that the lockdowns, the gym and the playground and school closings, actually made things worse? Well, now that's the. That's the future, right? That's the the concern, the the long term concern, or the the forward view concern, is that you know you you look at uh, papers out there that um, uh, looked at behavior change during the lockdown, and it was already bad to start, right? We we already the the unhealthy living phenotype was well entrenched within society and then the lockdowns came and like you said there was less opportunity to be active uh to find ways to eat healthy and and the data bore out that people during the pandemic around the world moved less across the lifespan so from children who you know weren't in school to you know adults uh in in general and then we're moving less, moving even less, sitting more, uh, and eating less healthy. And, and let's, 
thinking about mental stress and sleep quality. So, you know, all of those kind of things interacting as well. So now we were already in uh, an unhealthy living, chronic disease, syndemic slash crisis, where the unhealthy living phenotype was, is uh, causing this massive uh, incidence and prevalence of chronic disease around the world. And, and that was our crisis then. So now we're emerging from COVID. Uh, you know, we're still living with COVID, but we're somewhat emerging from it and getting back to normal. I'm going back to the office much more regularly now and face-to-face -face interactions in school and my kids are in school. So what happens with the behavior patterns that became entrenched during COVID? Mm -hmm. Do we now have a new norm of less physical activity, more unhealthy eating patterns. And then what is that going to do looking years and decades from now to chronic disease? Is, is it going to even go up more because we're, I don't want to, you know, getting back to the baseline where we were before COVID, that's, that's not really an aspirational goal, right? But right. But I, I, sometimes I want to say maybe it is. So we can we even get back there, or are we even in a worse off baseline now? Yeah, it, it may it may well have set us back. So you, you're an exercise physiologist. Uh, you know you understand all these processes by which uh, exercise confers benefits. What what is it about exercise mechanistically that enhances immunity? Can can you go through that uh, with a, a layman's uh, explanation of of how it works to uh, improve resilience against infections. Yeah, I mean it's a it, it's a, a complex process, and and there's a there's a kind of a sweet spot in there too. And mm -hmm. we'll touch upon you know uh, physical activity and and how much is good for you. The, the so-called J-shaped curve. You know, in other words, so there's a point yeah. in which uh, you know too much uh, can actually suppress immunity. You know, ultra marathoners and so on. Uh, may be more susceptible to infection after a grueling event. Yeah, exactly right. So, you know, that that uh, that moderate uh, intensity exercise, even light physical activity, but let's say that moderate intensity physical activity, kind of the ideal being, you know, the physical activity guidelines, let's say, of 150 more, uh, 150 or more minutes per week of of moderate to, to vigorous physical activity, um, you know, boosts your natural immunity, protects you from viral infections, uh, you know, and succumbing to them. So your your body's natural immune process um, works better, and, and that's you know kind of um, where where you know the whole exercise piece comes comes from. Um, what hasn't been you know, research as much. So you think about uh, immune protection, which isn't as big of a field as re of research as, you know, uh, physical activity and lifestyle and, and chronic disease prevention, so vascular function, let's say, mm -hmm. or um, other processes. But um, but what what hasn't been shown as much is um, what even light physical activity does to your immune system. So, you know, you're not an exerciser, but you actively commute to work you're moving around all day you're standing versus sitting 
because some data has shown that um, uh, that even uh, if you are not meeting the physical activity guidelines, but you're not sedentary, so you're somewhere in the middle, you're still at significantly lower risk of COVID hospitalization and, and adverse outcomes. So it would be really, and I think from a population level, even more so important because I, I still, being a realist, we're, we're not going to get on a population level, um, you know, most of the world becoming exercisers, let's say, in, in, the, in the way people view being an exerciser, going to the gym, getting on a bike, getting on an elliptical, and actually exercising for the sake of exercising. But... You know, if we can get people to move around more and sit less just in daily life, um, I think that's really where the, the field of, of, uh, of lifestyle needs to move. But, you know, what, what is it that doing something, not reaching guidelines, does for your health? Because all data indicates that um, that is tremendously beneficial. And that's where I think we could really move the needle on a population level. Um, I kind of got a little bit lost in the mix there as far as uh, the, the initial question you asked. But just to come back to that, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it being physically active, not smoking, of course, uh, you know, data indicating having a, a healthy diet will um, boost your natural immunity. Now, that's not to say that that, you know, and I've, I've had these conversations before. It's like, well, we should think about that versus uh, having, you know, vaccinations and boosters. And I, I'm not I'm not a proponent of that. I think mm-hmm. there's a there's a synergy there. It, it, it's not an either uh, or situation. Yeah, it's not yeah. an either or. So it's more of an it's all of both. the above kind of thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a, that's that's my that's my view on it. But but certainly, like you said, you know, you don't see the the healthcare messages or the commercials or the public health campaigns uh, that talk about your natural immunity. They talk about you know get get vaccinated, get boosted, rightfully so. But yeah, I would I would be a very happy professional scientist, healthcare researcher if I started seeing commercials about boosting your natural immunity as well. Uh, and and you know I've, I've I kind of talked about written papers about the healthy living poly pill that comes in all shapes and sizes and every individual should be mm-hmm. prescribed such a poly right. pill. You, just to back up, the, um, the poly pill was a, a concept that I think was introduced a few years ago in the Lancet that if you gave everybody, a, I guess it was, a, I think it was a beta blocker, uh, a blood pressure medication uh, and an aspirin. Uh, and I don't know, something else in it, maybe some like a diabetes medication and a pill. Uh, that we would save countless lives, you know, or and a statin. A statin had to be part of that. Yeah, okay. So it was the, the poly pill uh, concept. And we could get, you know, cheap generic drugs and give it to everybody over the age of, what, 40 or something like that. And yeah, and that was the notion. It was a pharmaceutical poly pill. But what you're talking about is a, a different kind of poly pill, like a lifestyle poly pill. Yeah, like, and it's more of just a, it's behavioral, right? It's a, it's a, it's having a meaningful conversation with the the patients that healthcare professionals care for and say, you know, okay, well, well, let's talk about the nutritional ingredients and um, how many fruits and vegetables do you eat a day? None. Okay. How about, you know, two, two servings. Okay. Check that box. That'll be part of the poly pill. 
how much you exercise today? None. Well, how about, you know, actively commuting to work and maybe after dinner taking a 20 minute walk per day at a low intensity. Okay. Let's throw that ingredient in there. Do you smoke? No. Okay. We don't need to worry about that. Um, you know, we could think about some weight loss and, and having a structured component around that. Great. You know, let's, let, let's mix these ingredients in and then, um, and then see where we are and then talk about, are you willing to do more? Are you willing to up your activity, change your diet even more? Um, but it, 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 it really, it's, it's kind of the same present, uh, premise. It's not a pharmaceutical drug per se. You're not giving someone, you know, a, a, a drug, but you're having that conversation and the ingredients are your lifestyle. Um, and, and think about like, you, and I, I agree with that Lancet premise that, um, a poly pill from the perspective of, of pharmacotherapy could save countless lives from a primary prevention standpoint, but so too could, and perhaps even more so, uh, a, a healthy lifestyle poly pill, uh, if, if you front loaded that, uh, in, in the population. Indeed. And, and in fact, uh, you know, some of the very things that the poly pill addresses, blood pressure, blood sugar, uh, cardiovascular risk, cholesterol and lipids, uh, all of those uh, improve in the face of an exercise program. So in effect, uh, in a non-pharmacological way, uh, you can uh, hit your targets in terms of optimization of some of these uh, risk factors that ultimately you know, put people uh, at risk. Uh, not just of COVID, but of uh, diseases that are far more prevalent. Good stuff. Okay, yeah. so yeah, let, let's pause because, uh, Russ, we divide our podcast into two parts. Uh, Dr. Ross Arena is author of a new paper just out uh, this summer, Mapping 1 Million COVID-19 Deaths and Unhealthy Lifestyle Behaviors in the United States, Recognizing the Syndemic Pattern and Taking Action. Uh, in part two, we're going to focus on uh, the conclusions in that paper and uh, talk about uh, uh, a program that uh, he's spearheading, uh, HL Pivot. We'll find out more about uh, that initiative, uh, which unites uh, healthcare professionals and uh, interested public health officials in an effort to uh, implement some of this good lifestyle stuff. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.